We are Community Radio, Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM. Very good evening. You're very welcome to Kilkenny Communities in Action with me, Paul Brophy. Big thanks to Pat and all the lads in the sports team. And stay tuned to Community Radio Kilkenny City for the most comprehensive sports and GAA action around. This Sunday is the beginning of Dyspraxia Awareness Awareness Week. And in a moment, I'll be speaking with Faye Dunn from Dyspraxia Ireland about what they have coming up as part of their Awareness Week. And around 7.30, continuing the Dyspraxia Awareness Week team, I'll be chatting again with uh, occupational therapist Donna Pride who has some tips and strategies that can be deployed to help people with dyspraxia and other conditions as well and after eight we'll be we'll be changing the subject completely we will be joined by community waters officer for the southeast and feeling who will be telling us about an upcoming online consultation on the river Brega here in kilkenny city which has been earmarked as a area or, or river in need of special uh, attention Joined on the line by Faye Dunn, who is a liaison support with uh, Dyspraxia Ireland. Uh, Faye, you're very welcome to Kilkenny Communities in Action. Thanks so much, Paul. And of course, uh, this coming Sunday is the start of Dyspraxia Awareness Week. For our listeners, uh, Faye, who mightn't be uh, familiar with the with uh, the condition of dyspraxia, could you just give our out our listeners an outline of um, uh, things they should be aware of? Yeah, so dyspraxia is a developmental coordination disorder. It can also be known as DCD um, or dyspraxia, you can change. Um, It is a common disorder that affects fine and gross motor skills and coordination issues in children, teens and adults. It can affect loads of different ways and symptoms and signs and you could have two different children, even we have some sets of twins who have dyspraxia and they'll have strengths and weaknesses in different um, areas. So it can often start to be recognised, say, when a child is a toddler and they're maybe not reaching their milestones. So crawling, walking, talking. Um, And then maybe going into school, it can be things like holding a pen or pencil, crayon, uh, pencil grip, struggling to write, uh, pain in hands, that type of thing. Um, using a scissors, knife and fork. You can have poor balance, so tripping, falling, and then going back to the maybe being slower at walking. Poor posture, difficulty with throwing and catching a ball, skipping, hopping, jumping, all those kind of things. So it's, it's, um, it's quite, it's quite extensive. Have, sorry. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, within saying that, we also have people who are really gifted within sports and art, and so you can be really good at other things and still have dyspraxia. Absolutely, I believe uh, Daniel Ratcliffe, he has dyspraxia, and Florence Welch from Florence and Machine, so there's some famous dyspraxic people. And um, Faye, you have a diagnosis of dyspraxia yourself. Um, When did you get a diagnosis of that, and what was it like growing up with the condition? I got a diagnosis at around age 14, 15. Um, it made a lot of sense when I got the diagnosis because I'm 
not great handwriting, organisation, planning, all those kind of things. Um, I guess it's harder when you're a teenager because you maybe don't want to be involved in groups and that kind of thing where if it's a younger child they might get involved in different activity groups or support groups we have. Um, it was hard but I'm glad I got it and it made a lot of sense to me. And then I got support put in place in school, like a laptop, which was really, really helpful for me. And resource hours in school and just a better understanding from teachers, friends, family, myself. And um, Faye, when you were you were four, 14, which was uh, not that long ago, um, the un- what was the understanding like then in comparison to now? So regards to the condition not of this Brexit? but not awful, I guess, somewhere in between. Um, I always kind of think we're a bit like dyslexia was maybe 30 or 40 years ago. There's definitely a lot more awareness now, but there's still a long way to go, um, both with just everyone, parents, friends, family, and then also in teachers and education and the medical profession as well. People might know the word, but don't know exactly what it is. Exactly. People hear a lot of people say, oh, it's that dyslexia. Or s- some people might say it's a, it's a physical form of dyslexia. Yeah, exactly. And uh, Faith, dyspraxia is primarily a coordinational and a, a sensory issue, but there are emotional difficulties that can arise, like your, your self-esteem and, and men- mental health. Is that something that's kind of forgotten about, that kind of goes under the radar that people don't uh, realise? Yeah, and I guess it depends on each family and each person themselves. And like I said before, everyone will have strengths and weaknesses in different areas. But I think if people do know about dyspraxia, they think it's organisation, planning, motor skills. They forget about maybe the anxiety, self-esteem. And especially if children aren't particularly good at sports, mm. they maybe don't join the local GAA or the dance class or whatever it is, karate. So they're missing out on that social interaction, which can definitely affect self-esteem and confidence. And would you find, Faye, when you have a condition like dyspraxia, that you're you have to look to look at things differently. You know, you're always looking for adaptions and um, things to make make life a little bit easier. Like, I'll be straight up with it. I actually have have the condition myself, and driving was a big issue for me. So I switched to an automatic car, and that made a, a world of difference for me. So that, that's that's one practical example that I could give. Yeah, exactly. I haven't tried driving yet. It's on the list, but I haven't gotten there. Um, I guess you almost come up with strategies and different ways of doing things without realising a lot of the time. Um, And like, for instance, I moved into an apartment and I kept walking into the door handle. And I kept cutting my side three, four, five times a day. Um, Because in my parents' house, we didn't have door handles like this. So I went online and bought like baby proofing door handle covers, but they do the job. Exactly. Now I don't cut myself. And how did you get involved with dyspraxia Ireland yourself? So when I got the diagnosis, my parents kept saying, oh, do you want to get involved, go to one of the teenage groups? And I really didn't want to. But then eventually I said I'd give it a go and I went to an activity. It was kayaking for teenagers and children. And I really liked it, and I never would have done something like kayaking before. I think because I was worried people would look at me and I'd be doing it the wrong way, but because I knew 
everyone there had spraxy I felt more comfortable so I stuck around in the teenage group and then when I left school I started to volunteer and now I think we're nine years later and I'm still here Wow, so you, you've come full full circle pretty much for sure and now, now, now you're working with this Brexit Iron which, which is great and of course um, the, a new CEO was appointed there recently uh, Sharon Lane who would have a, a very big background in the area of mental health so we wish we wish her well in, in her new post and um, how has COVID-19 been for people with dyspraxia and their families based on the level of contact that you've received received you know, through, through your organisation yeah, it's a hard one. You know, at the start, when there was no school, parents were definitely struggling homeschooling their children. Then I know a lot of our adults were really struggling with working from home and the change of routine or lack of routine. Um, and just the anxiety and stress added with COVID. And then the social aspect of not being able to meet up with friends or groups or clubs, they adults and teens and children might have been involved in. We've also had to start doing a lot of stuff online. Um, so, as I'm going to talk about in a minute, I'm sure the Awareness Week is all online, where the past few years it's always been in person. Right. Um, and so, since you brought it up, brought it up um, what kind of activities do you have coming up, albeit in the virtual world online? Yeah, so we have a few things. So, we have three talks happening on next week which is starting on the 22nd no it's not Sunday is the 22nd yeah no it's starting on the 23rd sorry 23rd is starting the week yeah starting on Monday the 23rd with a talk from Stephen Hudnett who is an occupational therapist and a former school teacher he was involved with a project we did at the start of the last lockdown with the University of Limerick um, and we have since been doing placements with their final year OT students who are about to become occupational therapists and obviously couldn't go into primary care centres or hospitals and they had to finish their placements. So they've been doing placements with our members online. So from that, Stephen has now graduated, but from some of the children and teens he met with his, over his placement, he has decided to collect some of their stories. Right, so he's see what would have helped in school, what did help, what didn't help, what they want the teachers and their friends and whoever to know. So it's a group of stories from children in primary and secondary. Right, so it sounds sounds very good, and you'll be able to see the differences of how it impacts, um, you know, children both young, young and old. Exactly, and everyone is so different again. So what might help one person might not help the next. So it'll be very interesting to see what they've come up with. Yes, um, sounds really good. Yeah, and then on the Wednesday, the 25th, we have a talk, Dyspraxia, DCD and Mental Health during yeah. Adolescence. Pretty, pretty much um, what we were talking about earlier on. Yes, exactly. And that's with the psychotherapist and counsellor Lorraine Mooney. And she'll be joined by her daughter, Sarah Ann. Uh, who has dyspraxia herself and so they're going to talk all about mental health during adolescence with dyspraxia DCD Great and you're, you're getting the lived experience as well which, which is always great to see so you have experts by profession and experts um, by experience Exactly and then on the Friday to end it we have a talk by Sharon Drew, Dr Sharon Drew who's an occupational therapist um, and she works in the University of South Wales as well 
and she's talking about small changes, how they make a big difference. All right, so, so it's, it's that would a, be a great one to end it's on. A, it's a pretty good uh, lineup, and for teachers out there um, who might might be listening, um, uh, Faye, um, there's probably a lot of things in these these talks that they could certainly um, use in the classroom. Definitely, I think especially with the Monday night one, because that is coming from the children themselves of ideas and tricks. Yeah, it's it, it, exactly, and and we've got a, a couple couple of minutes left. And um, what advice would you have for adults who might have a concern about dyspraxia? Maybe to feel like they're, you know, they're struggling to keep on top of things, organisation and work. Um, they might have difficulty driving. They might be, you know, get get a little bit uh, muddled at times. You know, what advice would you have? It's really hard, I guess as you know you go to primary school and secondary school you might have help and then when you leave and go into work the help might not be as there as much and I guess it's getting to learn your dyspraxia because what might help you Paul might not help me so it's trying to come up with tips and tricks for yourself and I think that's just a lot of trial and error Okay but um, would you say um, employers are becoming a little bit more um, aware of dyspraxia as a, as a condition and, and things like that. I know I know like big organisations like the HSE and stuff like that they have you know occupational therapy and uh, employees assist and, and, and other organisations as well. Do you think um, employers are, are starting to come around to uh, understanding dyspraxia as a condition and kind of trying to uh, bring out the, the best in people? Yeah, I, I think there is more awareness every year. We're not to where we want to be. Um, but I guess it's also the change of the way people are working now with COVID and that might suit more people working from home and not have to travel and the organisation are getting from home to work. And I think it's just about being flexible. It makes such a difference for adults and children's teens with dyspraxia. And would you say, Faye, from um, uh, a lot of the people you, you would have engaged, engaged with over the years, would you say technology is probably the probably the, the biggest tool that you can use to kind of help with some of the conditions with dyspraxia, be it your organisation, for example? Yeah, technology is huge um, in helping people. Even when I was in school, I got a laptop and we didn't even have a laptop. It was like a mini laptop is the only way I can explain it where now in schools and work wherever you can have a laptop an iPad or a tablet you can download all your books on it it's such a different world than this te- voice to text so you can speak what you want to type yeah I actually did There's that yesterday so I was sending a text to someone and I, and I actually spoke out the text and it just yeah. popped up on the screen which I thought was fantastic so much easier um, absolutely, and and uh, Faye, you're you're obviously looking forward to the, the um, what you have coming up in the the ne- next week for Dyspraxia Awareness Week. Yeah, and we've two other things actually going on. Um, we have a TikTok challenge. Okay. So TikTok is the new app that everyone is obsessed with. So we have created. Well, the University of Limerick have created a dance with the occupational therapy department and we are going to launch that on the Sunday 
the 22nd and we're hoping people will learn the dance and then share it All right, so on TikTok or Facebook go if they don't have it that 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 sounds sounds fantastic. Faye, it was an absolute pleasure talking to you. We wish you uh, every success for for just Braxy Awareness Week. I know it's it's one week in the year that's, that's dedicated to, but I'm sure in, in this Braxy Ireland, you'd hope that every week the awareness of dyspraxia can be ra- raised even even more. That's great. Thanks so much, Paul. You're more than welcome. The voice of the Black and Amber Community Radio, Kilkenny City, eighty-eight point seven FM. We are Community Radio, Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM. And following on our dyspraxia team, I'm now joined on the line by Donna Pride, who was talking to us a few months ago. Um, She's an occupational therapist based in the Midlands. Donna, you're very, very welcome. Thank you, Paul. It's brilliant. Nice to be here tonight. Yeah, it was kind of an interesting uh, uh, way to kind of entrance music as such yellow submarine because of course you're living on a on a boat so yeah thank you for that and it's not too bad tonight i've got a westerly wind so it's coming head on rather than a southerly that would be rocking the boat side to side so it's not nice and calm, not too bad tonight that's good that's good you don't, you, you don't need to move up to a submarine just yet no 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 <laughs> Um, Donna, you're a, an occupational therapist by prof- by profession um, what's the specific role of an occupational therapist um, I suppose really uh, in relation to um, occupational therapy, the main thing that we're really interested in is occupation. Now, it's a confusing word because people associate occupation with the word, with, with work. Yes. But it's not. It's, not, it's it, Basically, occupation is about how people occupy their time. It's what you do with your time, what you do during the day. So there's many things that we do that occupy our time during the day. It can be the everyday task, getting up in the morning, getting dressed. They're all occupations. Work is one of our occupations. Um, you know, being a parent is an occup- occupation as well, and the tasks you do as a parent. Or a child, their occupation can be going to school or um, having to get their sports bags ready for their sports. So there's lots of different things. Um, and you can see that when I start breaking it down into specific tasks, like, say, for example, a child getting their sports bag ready for a game and these sort of things can be impacted by illness or disability so say for example with dyspraxia Mm -hmm. if organization is affected getting up in the morning and getting your clothes and getting dressed and ready for school can be a real challenge exactly Um, yeah exactly Um, one of the um indicators of potential indicators of dyspraxia is having difficulty to get up and getting up in the morning as well actually waking up out of bed so so. yeah and and actually interesting Paul I think anybody that's listening tonight is actually in a unique position because the last time I spoke I think it was just at sort of the start of the last lockdown I think it was indeed yeah Mm. and now we're into our second lockdown and I think people are feeling it even more about what it's like to have our lives restricted yes very very much yeah we can't do the things we want to do we can't go uh, very far from our homes. We can't interact with the people that we care about. And, you know, how are we all feeling because of these restrictions? There's frustration, there's there's, there's anxiety, there's, you know, people feeling, you know, uh, lonely, low, uh, you know, there's all these feelings. And that's what it feels like 
for people living with a disability. So it's a really, you know, it gives us an opportunity to really understand what it feels like for other people who have these restrictions all the time, day to day. Um, so, yes, I suppose we're all continuing to have that understanding this time in this lockdown, but maybe even more so, because we're frustrated more right now, I think, too. And for the clients that you work with, um, uh, Donna, this this time around, is it, is it more difficult or have they kind of learned to adjust or how how, how are you finding it? Um, for for myself or for the clients? For your, cli- for your clients, your clients. Um, well, I think, I suppose what I know this really um, um, is that there's a, there's a lot of issues really. I was just sort of thinking about it. I mean, for a start, there's reduced services. Um, and that means increased waiting lists and increased waiting times. So anybody that's waiting to get a service, it's the, the waiting lists have just in, increased hugely. I suppose on a day-to-day sort of, um, you know, day-to-day for people, there's a lack of structure and routine. And yeah. You know, when you're trying to work on, you know, developing organisation, it's very hard if suddenly your structure and routine has changed or, or there is none. You know, I suppose to reduce social interaction and that kind of impacts on our confidence and self-esteem. Without a shadow of a doubt, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then also, I suppose, for kids, um, it has a huge impact. I mean, not so much now because the kids have been able to go to school this time round, but I think last time uh, where there were the children were at home, it was hard because children do a lot of their development at school socially, emotionally. They develop their play skills, their their motor development skills like fine motor for handwriting, all that happens in that kind of environment when they're interacting with their peers and that was taken away away from them last time mm-hmm. and I think um, the other thing that kind of is a concern is the potential risk of too much engagement and screen time which I think a lot, I've talked to a lot of parents and this one comes up time and time again, it's really hard to uh, you know kind of police that sort of thing really um I think at least this time around, for pe- a lot of the parents have been really thankful that the children have been able to maintain and continue to go to school. Exactly, it's it's a big yeah. it's a big big help help to people as well. And of course, yeah. um, we're we're very very fortunate as well that pre- creches and preschools and after schools they're they're able to stay stay open as well. So there's a kind of a, a continuum um, yeah. for, for those that are in in the primary school system. You know, when when they finish at three o'clock, that there's there's somewhere for for them for them to go, you know, which is a, gr- a great help to them and, and their parents, and of course the people that are working in their early years facilities. I'm saying are, are delighted to to be seeing, yeah, seeing the children. Exactly, and it it gives that structure and routine. It's so important, you know. Um, um, yeah. And how important, uh, Donna, are early interventions for, for children who might be presenting with uh, signs of dyspraxia or, or other conditions? I think it's really important, um, I suppose, because the earlier, um, the earlier that I, it's, um, any difficulties identified, the better. So even if you think about, um, so, I mean, this is going right back to, say, for example, a baby. Say a baby was finding it difficult to roll over onto their tummy and you want to figure out why they're having that difficulty and then being able to work specifically on that skill so that they can master rolling over on their on their stomachs. 
for example. And this is important because once they're on the tummy, that leads to the next developmental sort of skill development, like pushing up on their elbows, then their arms, then lifting their head up to look at the environment. Now, if they master these skills, that helps build their torso, shoulder, arm and wrist and hand strength, as well as social interaction with their environment, you see. And that's just an example, uh, you know, of, of how important each little developmental milestone and the development of each skill is because one usually leads on to the other which leads on to the other which have an impact when when a child is older of course now, and if you don't reach a certain milestone you can't uh, go to the next one and the one after that and the one after that so you're kind of you can be yeah. kind of stuck for want for another word exactly and i suppose um, it is important to note though that you know it is not unusual for all children to develop at different rates just if a child is, you know, you know, sometimes we can just see if they're having a difficulty reaching this, developing a certain skill and just being able to give them that little bit of support. And I suppose if you look a little bit further on in years, when a child is having difficulty putting on a coat mm-hmm. or, or doing up the zips or buttons or tying their shoelace, um, you know, these sort of in- interventions at this stage are really important. So, you know, the sort of interventions could be things like just breaking that task down, um, we co- um, breaking it down into steps and, and working on the specific step they're having problems with or maybe uh, backward chaining, which is making the child do the last step and work backwards. Okay. Quite often we, we teach children how to do things. This is what you do first. This is what you do next. And sometimes for some children, it can be, uh, helpful for them to see all the steps done and then they have to do the last step yeah. and then you do all the steps and then they do the last two steps so backward chaining is a another type of an intervention and technique can help with uh, children and and getting in at that stage when they're young to give them mastery of this ta- these tasks helps them develop their fine motor skills but as well as you know uh, helping them with their confidence and self-esteem and their ability Absolutely. to be able to do those tasks um, I mean, also, too, intervention at this stage could also involve adapting things, like using bigger buttons and then working down to smaller buttons or a larger catch on a zip so that it's easier to hold on to. And um, Or other interventions at this stage could be strategies like learning a new way to put on a jacket or trialling different ways to tie up laces or even a poem to help you do up laces. You know, we have little songs and things to help yeah, us remember yeah, things exactly. and know routines. So I think... It is important. Early intervention is important, especially with kids, because um, a powerful way of, you know, as I said, their occupation is play. So this is how, through play, how you help them develop those skills. That sounds very very good. And your your specialism is in the area of dyspraxia, which is a coordination sensory difficulty. What are the signs of dyspraxia that our listeners um, should uh, keep an eye out as next week is Dyspraxia Awareness Week? So particularly within, say, uh, younger children. Yeah, I suppose, yes, there's lots of different things, but I suppose... um, even with younger children, I suppose what you might notice is many children, but not all, but some children with dyspraxia, they sometimes quite often will fail to go through the crawling stage and they tend to be the bottom shufflers and okay. then they go from there up into walking. Um, or you might notice when they're, when they're small, they might uh, avoid tasks that require good manual dexterity, you know, sort of things where they're having to use their fingers. 
So you might sort of notice those sort of things in the in the, the little children, you know, the, the young ones. I suppose as they get older, it's things like poor balance, um, the fine motor and gross motor. So fine motor is just little intricate things with your fingers, the fine motor muscles in your in your fingers and in your hands. Gross motor is more about coordinating your um, the, the movement of your, your larger muscles in, in your body. Um, and poor posture might be something that you'd notice or difficulty with throwing and catching a ball, um, planning and organisation. So that's when you might also notice the children that find it really difficult to get themselves organised for school or, um, you know, even the night before might need a little bit of help organising what they have to have ready for school. Yeah, um, exactly. As I mentioned earlier on, I would have a, a touch of it myself and I yeah. would try to do things the night before. If I knew I had to be somewhere or I needed something, you know, for, for, for the next day, I would always, you know, plan it, have it, have it for the, have it ready yeah. the night before. So when I wake up in the morning, I can just grab it and go. Like there's no, there's, there's no big panic as, as there has been yeah. from time to time. Yeah, but see, because that, because you have that strategy and that's just the way you do it and now it's natural, it's just second nature for you to do it that way and, and it works. This, these, all these strategies, everybody uh, has different strategies anyway, we all do, and it's finding the one that works for you. And dyspraxia, Donna, it's primarily a coordinationary coordination and sensory issue but emotional difficulties can arise around self-esteem and mental health. Is that something that's kind of people miss or kind of like they don't seem to you know they can they can grasp the um the coordinational side of it but the the mental health um uh impacts that can can come with it as well as you think that's something that people are just um that don't have dyspraxia that it's something that they find a little bit difficult to grasp i think yeah I, yes i think it is um i mean i think it is improving this this understanding is improving i suppose as dyspraxia is becoming more well known and i suppose as more people with dyspraxia are kind of explaining what it is like for them to help other people to understand i suppose i mean but but when you think about it for a child an emotional difficulty for any child are really hard to kind of vocalize and and express because they don't have to Um, they don't have the vocabulary to express it exactly and so what you find is we sort of uh, how we may notice these emotional difficulties they might sort of manifest in kind of the behavior that we see so you kind of might see things like a child being easily distressed or being prone to temper tensions you know and that can be when they're getting frustration frustrated for a lot of different reasons but it could be that they're frustrated if they're if they're difficult that they're having with a task or um you might notice isolation within the peer group or being rejected mm-hmm. by peers. Or maybe the children might gravitate towards adult company because, you know, um, um, it might be less challenging in a way. Um, okay. You might find uh, limited concentration or they might, tasks might be left unfinished. Or maybe um, sleeping difficulties. They might have wakefulness at night or nightmares. Um, they might have a lot of physical symptoms like migraines, headaches and feeling sick but that could be connected to maybe not wanting to go somewhere or do something you as get, well you can, you, get very, you can get very tired easily because you yeah. have to extend, exert a lot more kind of mental or and physical yeah. kind of efforts to, to do certain things so you, you are going to feel a, a bit more tired 
Exactly. And sometimes I also notice too with kids, um, I'll hear, you know, uh, self, uh, self-deprecating self remarks, you know, say uh, if I'm doing an assessment on a child, they might go, oh, I'm, I'm never good at colouring in stars or I'm always dropping things. You know, they're, they're, these remarks come up as well. Yeah. And, you know, if that's the sort of self-talk they're telling themselves that they're saying out loud, I kind of often wonder what self-talk is yeah, inside if, as well yeah, and if you're, you're keep, you keep saying that I, I know mm. if you, you you will believe it yeah and I mean I think sometimes too a lot of parents will report to me things like they feel that, that their child um, with dyspraxia may need, they feel like they need more protection from life than the other children you know yeah. uh, they might might have trouble growing up they might react more immaturely to situations just because they may not have that sort of emotional maturity in a way I suppose um, and then sometimes they may not, may not express emotions, they're not sure how to react um, and yeah so those are some of the things that I've sort of heard, you know, feedback as well And Donna, in your opinion has awareness of the condition increased in the last number of years or is there still a long way to go? Um, yes it has it has increased quite a lot because um when people are contacting me now, they seem to have a, lot, a little bit more knowledge themselves about dyspraxia. Mm. Usually when, when adults are coming to me, they've done quite a lot of research. Um, and I think too, then when parents are coming to me, uh, you know, it might be that they've actually been, you know, uh, maybe the school has sort of said to them, listen, you know, maybe you need to get this, this looked into. Um, yeah. And that, that's what I'm not, and even schools themselves are contacting more, me more to seek out how best to support students. Um, and just generally, I'm getting more self-referrals from adults as well, too. That actually so leads me nicely into my next question. Um, yeah. would, would many adults come to, come to see you? Yeah, um, it, yes, they do. And, it, and I would say that definitely is increasing. And for a lot of different reasons, I would say. Sometimes, well, as I said, people have been doing a bit of research themselves and they just want... You know, they may suspect and they just want confirmation, I suppose, and closure, just mm-hmm. to understand. Um, some some are kind of adults that maybe have decided to re- return to study and they're finding that challenging, I suppose. Um, and so they've kind of thought, well, okay, why am I having to... Or maybe it's reminded them of how it was at school and that's kind of stirred up some questions for them. Um, or sometimes people might have have had difficulty with employment and I suppose they're just looking to understand why they are having difficulty and how to move forward. Um, so there's there's a few different areas. Um, you know, um, pe- people that might be deciding to even change jobs. They've been doing one job for a certain amount of time but they want to reskill or shift into another work area. Um, that Sometimes that brings them to me as well too. Um, yeah. And of course, Donna, we, we don't want to sound completely negative. There are positives associated with, with dyspraxia, like this, um, this peop- people with dyspraxia to have great, you know, strengths as well, to have real good uh, empathy is really a, a strong point. You know, they can be very creative. You look at the likes yeah. of uh, Florence Welch, Florence and the Machine, uh, yeah. you have Daniel Ratcliffe, you have um, Einstein, yeah. they reckon he had he had this, oh, this, this yeah. dyspraxia as well so there are you know lots lots of positives around dy- well that's another reason dyspraxia why I find as well exactly and that's why actually i have to say i enjoy um uh working with adults because resourcefulness 
I think is really an amazing thing well, mm. because because the, uh, the adults have sort of been living with dyspraxia, I'm always really interested in what people have come up with, the strategies that people have developed. Do you know? And people have, have uh, they'll come to me and they go, well, oh, you know, I've, I have to get the Lewis to work and that, dry, you know, I really can't stand the, the noise or the distractions. So I've, uh, I have um, noise redu- reducing headphones and I actually listen to a really nice, playlists I've made up that really relaxes me before I go into work and it's just like brilliant that's really resourceful and it's really inventive about how to get around that that um getting into getting into work like what's it probably all should do that necessity (laughs) necessity is the mother of all invention yeah yeah and there are there are a lot of corporations that they do look to kind of hire you know people with neurodiversity because they believe yeah. they can be they're more strategic and more kind of creative thinkers you know particularly in areas like you know the, the IT sector and stuff like that they, they seem to be you know really looking for people with that type of type of thinking yeah yeah definitely I think um, a lot of the people that adults that I've met are actually in very interesting jobs doing very creative things um, which is great yeah and I suppose that's a, another trait, you know, thing that can have people with dyspraxia. They can end up in jobs that, um, with where the greatest respect, you know, is kind of, uh, kind of below their ability level. So it's about trying to find the right platform that, with the right, right supports, you know, they can really flourish. Yeah, and I think that you're right. That's that's important. Being able to, I suppose, know what you need in your workplace to facilitate that and I suppose to know how to communicate that to um, you know communicate that to uh, say your boss or something like that or you know this is what I need to make this work and then you know because people don't know people don't know a lot of employers don't know how to help and I suppose it's up to us to help them understand how they can facilitate that but um, a lot of the kind of the you know the the big employers, be it in the private sector mm. and also your your uh, HSEs, etc., things like that. Yeah. They have you know very good employee assistance programs, and they are becoming more aware of neurodiversity within the workplace. Mm. Yeah, yeah, they are actually. It's 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 good, and I mean, I just I think it's great. I mean, e- even in the universities now, um, the the student disability services are really being you know they're wanting to learn more they're wanting to know how you know that they they are offering a lot um but even wanting to know more how they can help uh, a student to flourish in third level education for example and donna when we last spoke um we were talking about we spoke about um your phone can be a great great resource with the many apps that you can you can download is there any kind of specific uh apps that you'd recommend for people with dyspraxia or, or other conditions that it may help them you know organize yeah. certain aspects of their lives yeah i was actually just thinking about that i mean i know uh i suppose there's there's so there's so many right and i think that um it, it, uh, yeah, there's they, there's so many, and they also there's always new ones coming onto the market. Now I know that it's about I suppose going knowing where to go to look for them. Now there is a web, 
excuse me, a website called um, AHEAD, which is Association for Higher Education Access and Disability. Okay. And that, this is one example. And that has just a myriad of different types of apps that can be uh, used in, say, um, in, in the education setting. Um, so that would be, for example, things like um, Coggle, which is a web-based mind mapping tool, or Grammarly, which is a spelling and gramming checker. Um, there's a Trello, web-based task management app. There's lo loads of different ones. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, uh, CloudCal is another one. You can see your schedule in a format that suits you, so you can have color-coded circles, all, all sorts of things. So there's that, that sort of thing. And then there's also um, different apps, for example, like, um, oh, now this, this, there's some information also on, um, what's it called, Dyspraxia Foundation. This yes, is that's, that's an excellent right? website. Yeah. Because in the UK, I, they're about, I'd say, 20 years ahead of us. Yeah, well, I, I think we're getting there, but I mean, it, it, this is, it, and I think it definitely, for anybody that's looking you know, to go online and have a look. Um, and, you know, even for in a practical sense, things like Google Maps. I mean, who doesn't use Oh, fantastic, fantastic. Um, but they, oh, you know, there's things to for trains, there's things for buses, um, there's a, a thing called City Mapper, which is free, and that helps you navigate around major cities in the, of the, across the world. Um, An automatic car is a great help too. Yeah, well, that's it too, yes. Yep. And that's true too. That's a very good point. What you're saying about driving, actually, yes. Paul. I, I have met some people that have thought that they would not be able to, um, or, or haven't sort of considered driving. Yeah. Um, but you're right. Dead right. Uh, you know, if you can have an automatic car, mm. that takes a huge amount of, um, like when you have to use a manual. There's so much more. Unbelievable. Kind of yeah. Like you, you could be driving along the road, and there could be a. Uh, uh, around about ahead you could be in fifth you're working your way from fifth down to fourth yeah. down to third you know yeah. you stop in second down to first then move off yeah. then back up and yeah. then like yeah right. so I mean that that's and and um, I think too you can get uh, slightly different mirrors on your on your side mirrors on the car um, yeah. as well so that just gives you a little bit more visibility as well so there's, there's I mean okay we're kind, now we're sort of talking about practical uh, kind of um, tools, but um, yeah, there's so much. I mean, even apps to be organised, there's things like Evernote, Habitica. Yep. Um, that makes it sort of a game of staying organised, which is good, I suppose, if that, you know, um, it makes it like rewards when you get to your goals, your day-to-day -day goals. All right, very um, good. Yeah. Now, I mean, there, there are some that are also, like, you have to subscribe to and things like that, but I, I would urge anybody to really try there's so many free resources out there yeah and and just to try try a few and find out what suits you because everybody is so different you know what you know visually we can we can like different apps just you know we're also different on what we might like to see visually um yeah so there's there's just a myriad of things out there um it's amazing really when you think about it and yeah. Donna, what advice would you have to our listeners who might have a concern, be it themselves or, or others, um, that there may be signs of dyspraxia or, or something else? Well, I, I know um, I, I know what a lot of people are doing anyway, and it is that they're going online because 
when people come to me, that's what they've done. This is where we go to. It's a sign of the times. And and that can also be, it can also be a little bit dangerous too as well because if you exactly. type something into Google, it'll always give you the most extreme, extreme exactly. outcome. Yeah, and and also too, there's a problem of information overload, too much information. And how do you find the right information? Exactly. Um, and so, what I would advise here in Ireland, the best resource we have is Dyspraxia Island. Yeah, um, yeah, if you have to go anywhere, go to the Dyspraxia Island website because from there there's a myriad of information there. And it, and then if if, you, if if it's a lot to look at, then all you have to do is pick up the phone and, and give them a call. Both Faye and Harry that work there are fabulous. Harry you know. actually, Harry's actually retired. Oh, I didn't know a, that. A, a lady called oh, Sh- um, Sharon Lane has um, is the new oh, CEO of of this Braxier, and she's oh, well, she's a she's a very very impressive lady. So I, yeah, I think, I think she'll do very well. Harry oh, was great too, as well. Yes, yeah, he's fabulous. Oh, that's that's great news for her. That's brilliant. Um, and it's always good to have new life into an organisation too, because yeah. you know that that's oh, that's great news. Yeah, so uh, my I would say for anybody, if they've got any query, just go to the Dyspraxia Island website. It's a great starting point. Um, you know, that's what I'd recommend. Exactly, and it's it's factual and correct, which is the most important yeah. thing. Donna? Yeah, you know, it's specific to us here in Ireland, which is important too. Without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Donna, yeah. it, was, it was an absolute pleasure, and I hope you have, have a lovely weekend, and thanks a million for, for taking our call. Great talking to you again, Paul. You take care. No problem. As we say here on Communities in Action, the door is always open, so we'd love to have you on again. All right. Okay, that'd be wonderful. Take care, Paul. See you soon. Bye-bye. See you later. Bye-bye. And that was Donna Pride. Uh, we're just going to take a quick break, and we'll be back after these. We are Community Radio, Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM. And I'm now joined on the line by Anne Phelan. We had a few technical difficulties, but we've managed to uh, get through. Anne, you're very welcome to Kilkenny Communities in Action. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much, Paul. No problem. The technical difficulties. They're all sorted, yeah. Apologies for that. Oh, no, it's it's, it's my fault. I was ringing on the wrong number. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll mea culpa there. Um, Anne, could you tell us a little bit about the river consultation that's taking place on Monday evening? it's on Tuesday. Tuesday, a bigger actually, Paul, on the 24th of November. And it's about the uh, River Brega and uh, the water quality in the River Brega, Paul. And this meeting, which is called, uh, it's a community information meeting. It's to let people know out there, to make the, the public aware uh, that, you know, there are issues going on in the River Brega and um, we will have scientists uh, coming in and working in the River Brega and looking at what is the causing, the, you know, the issues with water quality in the, in the River Brega and they will be coming up then with measures about what we can do about the River Brega. So the meeting on Tuesday night that starting at half past seven, um, Paul, will be to introduce uh, that the catchment scientist who is Stephen Davis and myself who is uh, the community water officer we will both be doing presentations uh, you know about the River Brega 
and uh, what we want to achieve from a, a, a community information uh, meeting. And the, the meeting itself is not really necessarily just about um, me and uh, the catchment scientists. Paul, it's actually to try to listen to the locals as well, to see what do the locals have to say about the River Brega. And I know from my work in Kilkenny mm-hmm. that there is huge, huge interest uh, in Kilkenny City, uh, you know, about the River Brega. There's and been, been a, lot, a lot of great work being done down around the river, particularly around the, the, the balsam, which is a, an invasive species. Oh, absolutely, uh, Paul. And there is a great project going on being led, of course, by, uh, you know, Pat Boyd and the Keep Kilkenny Beautiful People. Yeah, they're doing 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 wonderful work, yeah. Yeah, removing the um, invasive species that is the the balsam. And the reason why the balsam is actually such a a nuisance, as well as there are other invasive species, species as well but the the balsam is one that um you know that you're it's kind of easily removed because you can just pull it by hand but why it is such an issue uh, to the riverbanks paul is because what happens is that it doesn't allow any of our native plants to grow up okay and they it keeps them kind of um in the dark, so to speak. So what happens then is that, um, you know, you begin to see the bare soil. And then what happens is that when we get rain events, that soil uh, runs off and into the water and and settles on the bottom and it actually smothers then whatever little, you know, invertebrates are there. And then this kind of starts a kind of a chain reaction. If the invertebrates are gone, uh, the fish go, if the fish go, the bird life goes, and right. you know, so on and 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 the so whole forth. ecology can be t- completely turned upside down. Of course it can. Of course, and of course, can. with the balsam little seed seedlets, uh, they can get into the water stream, and they can they can go go downstream to nice oh, places like Great Damana, and it can affect the river yeah. down there. That's right. That is the huge difficulty you see, Paul, with with our and all our river channels. You see, are connected as well. So something that probably starts high up in the, in the catchment of a river will will have an effect on what happens below it. And and this is what my whole role is about. It's trying to make people aware of the human activities that we carry out that have an impact on. Um, what we call our water bodies. Now, the River Brega is also part of um, what was um, defined, I suppose, under the second cycle of the River Basin Management Plan, and this will be all coming up in the meeting on Tuesday night, okay. uh, Paul. It was what's called a prioritised water body. That means that it was singled out, I suppose, for special attention by the catchment scientists. And it was put on um, into, you know, a program where the scientists would go in and have a look at the break and see what's going on in there. And, and then do, do they break these kind of priority areas down by severity or or, or is it kind of like there's a, there's an issue here we need to kind of look at or are the different kind of kind of levels? Because I know you cover the southeast cause, and I can imagine there's, there's other kind of uh, water bodies that are... Um, earmarked for special attention. 
There are a lot of other water bodies. As a matter of fact, Paul, there's, there's 190 in the country. Right. And that is even due to increase again in the uh, third cycle, uh, Paul, which will be beginning, which will be beginning in uh, 2022, okay. uh, Paul. Yeah, but really the, the only thing in a way that probably limits us really is um, resources and, uh, you know, there are so many water bodies in the whole of Ireland that it's not possible to take on absolutely everything at the same time. So this is why the water bodies were prioritised. Now, they were prioritised on a very robust scientific uh, basis and uh, water quality is usually called, called, you know, what status is it at? And it's measured by, you know, in some cases, chemical measures. But in more cases, it's more the story of the water body is more told by the amount of macro invertebrates that are on the bed of the river because their absence or their presence determines how good or how bad the water quality is. Right. It's kind of like, you know, in in our bodies, we need to have sort of like good and bad bacteria some, some good bacteria in our bodies as well and if the, those micro invertebrates if they're kind of like good bacteria if if those those are not at, present at, you're kind yeah. of you're um you're at risk let's say that's that at risk is the exact words and they are that is the terminology that the EPA and the law program uh, uses, and the River Brega is considered an at-risk water body. But getting back to the microinvertebrates, uh, Paul, and the reason why they they look at the macroinvertebrates is because they can tell a story, not by a snapshot in time, but over a period of time. So you're talking absence, thousands of years. Oh, yeah, or the absence or the presence of particular um, macroinvertebrates can tell you a huge amount of what is going on um, in in the river. And, um, you know, the, the, if you have pollutant-tolerant macroinvertebrates, that will tell you then that the, 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 the waters, you know, are suffering some kind of a pollutant. But okay. it's also to do not only with the... the um, the the, the, the the quantity it, it it is also to do with the quality and the diversity. So the more different species of macro invertebrates you have, the better water quality you have. So again, it's like all biodiversity, uh, Paul. The more diverse it is, the better. And of course, biodiversity. It's a it's a a very big big topic. You know, there, there's actually a junior minister to the Department of Agriculture for with responsibility for biodiversity, Pippa Hacker. So it just goes to show it's it's a very it's a very very important issue that the the present government are taking very serious. A very important issue, uh, Paul. And like I mean, this particular government has declared a biodiversity crisis, Paul. And and actually, we do have a biodiversity crisis. And what we really need to realise is that the, the the less biodiversity we have the worse it will be for humans because we need biodiversity we need pollinators we need um, lots of biodiversity in our rivers 
because this is what the human race actually depends on. So the more biodiversity we have, the better for human beings. And the great thing about biodiversity, Paul, is that we really enjoy it. It's really exactly good for our health and our well-being. And our rivers are wonderful for our they health indeed, and our well-being. Indeed. Especially yeah. in these kind of restricted times and, you know, people that... You know, if you're living near a river or a water body, it's, you know, having that there as a kind of a place for recreation, you know, it has huge benefits for people, not just their physical health, but their mental health as well. Huge benefits for people, Paul, and people um, feel very connected to um, our rivers, um, especially the River Brega and all the stories that mm. I hear from local people about the, the River uh, Brega. And it has a rich heritage and uh, Irish people are very connected all down through the times, through pagan times, to our holy wells, yep. to lots and lots. We have, you know, we have a great connection to water and to our rivers. And and I imagine this is probably, this uh, online uh, meeting, it'll probably be one of a, a series of, of meetings and that uh, a report will be, be drawn up um, and whose ultimate responsibility will it uh, implement its findings? Well, who, to implement its findings, Paul, yep. it will actually be whatever agency will be responsible for whatever measure is going to make the River Brega achieve its objectives under the Water Framework Directive. But without knowing that, that you know, that, that will take, a, a, you, know, the, the, you know, the science behind this, can be quite complicated and it takes, you know, a long time. So nothing is going to happen, we'll say, quickly. But this community information meeting is the start in the process. This kicks off the process for the, the, the River Brega and this is why it's so important, you know, that people, if they can at all, we would love them to attend the meeting. Um, all these, I, I, um, you know, it's because of COVID, we have been forced to um, to go online with our community information meetings now. And, you know, they, they have been a success, but I uh, still think there is no substitute for the face-to-face. But look, what exactly, we have to yeah. work with the times that we have. And we don't want to certainly be putting anybody, uh, you know, in danger or anything like that, Paul. So online is the best course of action that we have at the moment. How do you find find it um, doing it online? And because I know you would have done many of these uh, meetings, you know, as you said, fa- face to face. How how do you find it from your own point of view, from present as a presenter? It's sometimes, Paul, you see, you see what's kind of sometimes missing probably on Zoom is that, um, you know, you, you don't get to feed necessarily on the energy that comes back, you know, from the people in the room. You yeah, know, there's exactly. always an energy present when you go to a meeting and, you know... When be you it get positive or negative. Well, be it positive or, or be it negative, and and so far all of our meetings have been, you know, very positive, Paul, because we're only carrying a positive message, Paul, mm. trying to make people aware of the precious resource that water is and the things that we need to do to protect it and to restore it, and not just for ourselves, but your for future generations so you know we are really only carrying a a positive message and this community information meeting on Tuesday night 
at half past seven via Zoom and you can register, um, you know, by Facebook or you can uh, register just just Google the uh, Waters and Communities website and you can go on there and just register. Uh, All you have to do is put in your email address and uh, step by step to register for the meeting Hmm. and we would love if if everybody would join us on Tuesday night to listen to what uh, is has to be presented. Exactly, and the the, the more more the merrier. And Anne is, as you say, you cover the the southeast. Are there many other rivers like the River Brega that are um, would be under your remit that that fall under this kind of at risk category? Oh, there's many rivers, uh, Paul. The, uh, we have um, as you said there's 190 yeah. in total but there's how many how many will come under your uh, watchful uh, eye actually um, I covered the largest area Paul by covering the southeast because we have the largest volume of waters because we have the three sisters mm-hmm. and we have the, the, the river Slaney as well Paul as well as the Blackwater in in Munster as well, Paul. So if you look at uh, the Three Sisters, the River Shore, the River Barrow, the River Nore, uh, you know, and the amount of land that they cover, and if you think about it even, the amount of towns even that they flow through. So Absolutely, that yeah. it's a huge amount of the population on the eastern side. So I actually covered the the largest volume of water bodies in the country. Right, and you could be, that may uh, encompass nearly half a million people. Well, yes, it probably does, Paul, yeah. to be quite honest. So that, that'll just does, goes, yeah. to, goes to show um, uh, how, how, impor- how important uh, the, these bodies are. And um, so far, and uh, the response has been positive, and you're hoping you get a, a good I know it's hard with these, these type of virtual meetings, but you're hoping to get a, a good turnout? I'm hoping to get a good turnout, uh, Paul, on Tuesday night. We've, we've had some very good turnouts at our meetings up to now. I have no reason to believe it will be any different on Tuesday night. Exactly. And, and as you said, if you want to register, you can go on the Waters and Communities website or you can go on your, your Facebook page or, or Twitter and all the contact details will there. Yeah, or somebody can just email me, Paul, Phelan at lawco.ie, and they can register by doing that as well. And do they have to register by a certain time next next week? Probably. probably Uh, We we haven't actually. Tuesday morning, probably at the latest. Yeah, well, look at it. It would be preferable, Paul, that people would would register only so that, you know, we we just know the amount of people, you know, that will be coming on to the meeting. Now, for for luck, as luck would have it, we've pretty good broadband, so fingers crossed everything will go according to plan. And you're using Zoom? Zoom. Yeah, yes. which is pretty ac- pretty accessible yeah. for people. And uh, as always, an, ab- an absolute pleasure. And as we say to everybody, the door's always open here in communities in action. So we'd love to have you on again. And fingers crossed, you get a good turnout and Great. you get a, you know, you get the ball rolling. And hopefully, yes. whatever report that comes out of it, you know that that everybody will will embrace it. And whatever changes need to be made, that they will be will be made with with urgency. Great, Paul. And Paul, thank you very much for the opportunity. And sorry about the hiccup again. You're all right. You're all right. Okay. <laughs> no problem. I'll talk to you thank soon. You, have a nice Paul. weekend. Have a, gr- have a good weekend. See Bye, you soon. Bye bye. Bye. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye.
and that was Anne Feenham with Loco. Um, I'd like to say a big thank you to my guests, Faye Dunn from Dyspraxia Ireland, uh, Donna Pride, who's an occupational therapist in the Midlands, and Anne Feenham from the local authorities' waters office. We are Community Radio, Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM.